0: Studying and praying about this passage and really like anywhere in the book of the revelations it's hard to exhaust an entire text there's some things that, that may be left out um, concerning this so similar to like this morning I do want to give a bird's-eye view of, of what's what's going to happen really at the marriage supper of the lamb and there's a lot of things that, that go on I mean Um, We'll start, let me just start with my text, find a good starting point and I'll dive in the message. Revelation chapter number 19 verse 7, the Bible says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him for the marriage of the Lamb is come and His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. I mean, whenever I think about the marriage supper of the Lamb, I really see this personally to be the climax of all climaxes. And let, let me explain to you, because we're going to look tonight at the characters, the clothing, and the call. But before we jump into that, you have to understand really really what takes place inside of a marriage. Inside of a marriage, there's God. I mean, whenever we stand before God in holy matrimony and we exchange vows uh, before one another, it's, it's, it's something that's designed and instituted by God. It's, a, it's an institution. It's called marriage. Amen. And you have to realize that the bridegroom or the groom... It's Christ you have to realize that the pride that the bride is the church you have to understand that amen you, you've got to have that part nailed down or you won't get anything else I'm going to say but it's the, it's the climax of all climaxes we think we think of, we think of cross, the cross at Calvary and, and everything that happened there to be a great climax and that was huge because that was that was the way of salvation. But hear me out. This is the climax of all climaxes, because for thousands of years the devil tried to stamp out the groom. I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, he tried to make it to where he would even corrupt the seed of the woman, to where he, he would he would actually have he wouldn't even have a fit groom for this marriage supper. I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, they tried try to stamp out the line of David. They, 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 try to, they try to take down the, the, the seed. They try to attack Christ. And then for 2,000 years, Satan has been attacking the bride, the church, and he's still attacking today. And so the enemy, the enemy wants nothing more than to stop this marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I mean, yes, yes, we do understand. He was trying everything in His power to stop Calvary. And He failed. But, beloved... May I say tonight, he is still trying to stop the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, to be a part of the marriage supper of the Lamb, as a child of God, you must be saved. And he will try to do everything in his power to, to bring a, a bride or an adulterous wife to the groom. And, and we can get to that um, a little bit tonight. But those that are going to stand there at the marriage supper of the Lamb, that is going to be made up of the church. It's going to be made up of those that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very, very big deal. I want you to notice in in verse number 7, the characters. Verse number 7 is the characters. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife hath made herself ready. And so the main characters are always the bride and the bridegroom. And that's the same thing that happens here. So let's, let's look at the, the bridegroom. I mean, this absolutely has to be Christ. This absolutely has to be Christ. Do you understand the importance of of the bridegroom? Do you understand that this is a man desiring a long-lasting marriage? He's desiring a long-lasting covenant. And I don't care what the world says marriage is between one man and one woman for one lifetime. Amen goes right there. I don't care who that hair lips, even if it hair lips the Pope. That's what God said. And so you have to understand that all throughout the Old Testament... Christ kept trying to woo Israel. Well, let me hurt your feelings. Israel was the adulterous wife. Israel's not the bride. Israel is the church. Or excuse me, the bride is the church. And all throughout the Old Testament, Christ was trying to redeem the people of Israel. And, and even in Hosea, he likens Israel as unto a harlot, going out and, and going back and going out and going back and going out and going, out and going back. There are going to be those from Israel that do get saved and they do become part of the bride because they become part of the church. You do understand that the church doesn't replace, amen. The church is completely different. But you must understand that all throughout the Old Testament, the bride, the bridegroom simply just longed for a woman that will love him. I mean, think about it. There, there, there are men today, there are men today that in their marriages, I hate using real life examples, but it's all I got. Look, if you don't want to end up as a sermon illustration, just, just do right and, and treat your spouse right, and you won't end up in the sermon. Amen. But, but, but I, I got to talking to a man this week, and he was sharing with me about how his wife just doesn't really show the affection that he wants, and, and how he's contemplating leaving his wife and, and all this, and how he can just be so much better off with somebody else. And, and so it's all about his happiness, and I said, brother, God don't care about your happiness. He cares about your holiness. Amen. And I tried to explain that in a loving way. And it was me and another man trying to help this guy out. And finally he just looks at us and he says, Josh, he says, I just want her to love me. Man, that, that, that ripped my heart apart as a grown man. I got to thinking about my Lord, Jesus Christ. How He's the bridegroom. And how we as Christians, we cheat on our Lord with our boyfriend called the world. Amen. And our girlfriend called the flesh. Amen. You do realize that our God is a jealous God. And He gets very jealous when we when we go out and, and we live recklessly and we live unrighteously. You do realize that. It, it hurts his hurts his heart. And so you gotta understand that the, the bridegroom is is getting ready to invest in his bride. He's getting ready to stop everything that he's ever done in his entire life to change his course of action, change his course of direction, and be 100% committed to his bride. Oh, I think about when Jesus came out of the walls of heaven, how he humbled himself, and he was wrapped in humanity, and he saw what we would become. Yes, he saw us right there in our desolate sin, but he says, you know what? I will make you my bride and I will be able to rove you in white and fine linen not because of what you do or what you have because your righteousness is filthy rags but instead I will die for you and I will love you I will purchase the whole field to get the pearl which is the church made up of sinners that were once lost and now are saved and so he he made that way for sinners he made that way for the bridegroom to have the bride and that way whenever the the bride stands before god the father and has this holy matrimony called the marriage supper of the lamb he is able to take white cloth and fine linen and and that is his righteousness and he gets the covered over the church not because of what they've done but because of who he is and it's because of his precious blood he washes our sin white as snow It's a beautiful picture of the bridegroom. There's no confusion. There's no confusion that that the bride is the church. I mean, there's a marked difference between the adulterous wife of Jehovah and the virtuous bride of Christ. There is a difference between those that, as we saw in the Old Testament, such as Israel, they, they wanted the things of God. But they were never able to keep the law. So then God made a way through His only begotten Son, Christ. And what did many of them do? They rejected the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even today, they're they're still trying to keep the law. That's not the way to heaven, friend. That's that adulterous wife. Then we see in the characters, we see her purchase. We see her purchase... The Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, I mean, uh, Christ, and and this picture right here is a beautiful picture of how a husband is to love his wife. Uh, I mean, think think about that all throughout all throughout history. I mean, it wasn't even long even after Christ ascended up into heaven. And whenever he ascended up into heaven, he left he left the apostles in charge. And it wasn't long at all until the church started being adulterous. It wasn't long at all until the church tried to bring the world back in and the world tried to bring Judaism back in, and the world tried to bring paganism in. It wasn't long at all before the church was committing adultery on Christ in 2023. <laughs> mm. Mm. Do I even need to preach for a little while right there? But my point is this. Hey, this bride keeps cheating on her, soon to be a spouse husband. This bride keeps on leaving and what does Christ do he pursues and pursues and pursues and he runs you down and he's not going to leave you can go run off into the night and you can do whatever you want to but he will be there waiting for you to return why because he's invested into you he has purchased you by his precious blood he is all for you and too many too many times. The world just spits and they mock at his face, and, and they just said, fooey on the Bible, fooey on God. I'm going to live my life any old way I please. I don't care what anybody's got to say. I'm going to do what I like and what, I, what makes me feel good. Oh, my friend, that's dangerous ground to be on. I mean, I mean if, we're, if we husbands are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, it is a beautiful picture of how us husbands should always be pursuing our wives and vice versa. I see, I see not only the bride, the church, the purchase, I see the espousal or a formal agreement between the parties then coming under obligation for the purpose of marriage. Now understand... Their espousals, espousals are very are in the east. They're very frequent, and they're frequently contracted years before the marriage is even celebrated. I mean, you got to understand. In this time, in this time, they've done this thing. I like I call it courting. Now courting is like, hey, Mr. Jones, your daughter's purdy. I mean, she is good looking. And uh, listen, I'm a Christian. And uh, I'm looking for a godly woman. I would like to see if if your daughter would want to maybe one day look into a marriage with me. I just want to see if she's marriage material. But before we get married, I I would like to ask for your permission to take her out uh, on a date. I'd like to get to know her. Uh, I want to get to know her for a while, but it's my intention to one day find a spouse and, and, and just knowing what I know about your daughter, Mr. Jones, I believe she'd be a good fit. But I don't know unless I unless I take her out. I, well, where are you going, son? Well, I'm going to take her to a, a youth revival. We're going to be around uh, about 40 preachers and uh, about 500 uh, Christians. You're welcome to come you know that's that's what it looks like it, it's kind of like courting, and, and what would happen is the, the 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 families would sit down and and it was different ways that they could do it but one of the ways was that the fathers would sit down and they they would say listen i've got a son the other one would say listen i've got a daughter and i think that would make a really good fit okay well what will you give in exchange for my daughter that's what it would look like look like and the father would make an agreement he'd make an arrangement and there you go there they are espoused to be wedded and what they would do is is the the as as that contract or that agreement was made the bridegroom would get ready and prepare a place for his bride mm, don't miss this don't miss this he would leave he would go find a place he would prepare a place for his bride he he would make he would make a purchase and give something very expensive or something valuable to the Father to prepare for the bride. Well, I want to tell you, beloved, over 2,000 years ago, the God of heaven looked down on you and me, seen where we were, seen the potential of what we could be. Even though we were rotten, nasty sinners, he looked down and seen us as his potential candidate to be his bride. And so God the Father sat down with the Son. He made a contract. He says, alright boy, you want what they got? You want that bride? What you going to give me? Well, I tell you what God, I'm going to go over to this back 40 acres and I'm going to prepare a place uh, in your house or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And so He went out He says, I'm going to make a place for my bride to come. Well, that sounds great, Son. How are you going to take care of Him? How are you going to pay it? What kind of investment are you going to give? Well, i tell you what I'll do, Daddy. I think I'll just humble myself into a form of a servant. I'm going to be born of a virgin, overshadowed by the Holy Ghost. I'm going to live a a 100% clean life. I'm going to be incapable of sin. I'm going to be 100% divinity, 100% humanity. I'm going to live a pure and perfect life. And by the time I'm 33 and a half years old, I'm going to lay down my life on the cross at Calvary. I'm going to literally let them take my life from me as I give up the ghost, as I'm exposed naked, with my flesh hanging out, with my blood poured out, as a sacrifice for the sin of all mankind. That's what I'll do, Daddy. I want my bride one day. I want her so bad, I'm willing to give up everything for my bride. She's precious to me. And the father says, All right, son, if she really just means that much to you, help yourself. Amen. And so we see the arrangement of the espousal. Then we see her marriage. Number two tonight. What's in the marriage? The clothing. Look at verse number 8. And to her was granted that she would be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. In her clothing we see firstly the material. The material. The Word said that the bride's garments... Are made of, of fine linen, clean and white. Isaiah chapter one verse eighteen says this: "Come now, let us reason together," saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, crimson rather. Amen. They shall be as wool. We see that the bride, she has on white. You know what white represents? Purity. Purity. Amen. I'm going to brag on my wife for a minute. She earned that right to wear white at her wedding. Amen. She was a virgin. Amen. Amen. You do realize you have to be a virgin to wear white at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. You cannot be that adulterous woman. But then we see, secondly, spiritually, scripturally, the Scripture gives its own spiritual application by stating, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Like I said earlier, beloved, it's not your doing, it's all God's doing. Every sin that you've ever committed... All the wickedness, all the rottenness, all the nastiness, that blood cleanses, cleanses it all. G- gives you a clean slate. God forgives that sin, that weight, that guilt, that condemnation. He pulls it right off of you and He pushes it on His Son as His Son stretches out His arm and takes the guilt in your sin. He quite literally washes you white as snow. He puts on His righteousness on His bride. And He makes her fit to be married. Amen. Praise God. Hey, praise God. Amen. Lastly, tonight, we see the called. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 9. And He saith unto me, "Right, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Amen. you got to be called. Amen. You say, how do I know if I'm even going to be that bride? First off, God's got to call you. He's got to convict you and let you know that you are lost. And you've never fully trusted him. That's a good thing. Because he's pursuing his bride. He's pursuing her already in that calling. In that convicting power, He's pursuing her. He's saying, hey, I want to marry you one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Let me introduce you to myself. My name's Jesus. I died on Calvary for you. He's he's calling. We see the call from the grave. Those invited to the marriage supper are those who are raised from the dead at the sound of Christ's voice. John chapter five verse 28: 29 says, "Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all, uh, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good, unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Do you remember earlier this morning I preached about the rapture? And how those that are, that are dead, that, that, that are saved, that their bodies are going to get pulled up. Amen. Well, Then, then, then there's also that resurrection of damnation. Those that are not saved in the great white throne judgment. There's going to be a call from the grave. He's going, to, he's going to call everybody up to be with Him. But then there's that call by His grace. While these invited guests are composed of Old Testament saints and martyr tribulation saints... We must always keep in mind that they too have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and are saved by the same grace as we are. Amen. It's all by grace through faith. It always has been. Even Abraham's faith is what got him there. It was not his works, friend. Amen. You know, faith is, the, is trusted in the things that you can't see. It's the substance of things unseen, the evidence of things hoped for. You say, "Well, faith is blind." No, the scripture said there's evidence behind it. There's something tangible about behind this faith. I mean, I mean, for me, that, that whenever I was, and y'all know my testimony, when I was an atheist, uh, I was like, "Well, there's really no no such thing as their faith. There's no, nothing tangible because you know that they, they go and live like the devil and live like hell on Saturday, but then Sunday, praise the Lord." Love lifted me. Well, did it really? Because I seen you on Saturday night, and that was—I mean, that was not the same person. I don't—I don't remember that. I, if that—that's if your God, I don't want him. I don't want him. But then, I, then I got in with the crowd. They just a little bit different. I mean, I mean, they didn't really fit in with the church folk. Matter of fact, the church folk didn't really like them because they—they were kind of loud, and they kind of said "Amen" a lot, and they kind of was like "Praise the Lord, Hallelujah" a lot and i remember walking up to to one man and he's going to be with the lord his name is jeff pinson and i said i said jeff why are you always yelling during the service don't you know that's disruptive he says oh i'm just getting ready for heaven (laughs) okay (laughs) okay and that was him And, and he's always smiling praise god praise god all the time finally i just asked jeff i said jeff Why ain't you like anybody else at this church? He said, I don't know. That's between them and the Lord. All I know is the Lord's been good to me and He saved me. Short, sweet, to the point. Short, sweet. Every, Every time I'd approach Him, finally I realized there might be something real about this thing. And eventually, God, through the power of the Holy Ghost, led a black man named Sterling Abrams to Pleasant View Community Church that stood up there with a Bible. Not one I got, a different one. Stood up there with a Bible. And preach the gospel. Now mind you, I've heard the gospel all my life. I've heard the stories over and over. But this time, something was different. It's like the light went off. It's, it's, it's like I could, I could quite literally feel something drawing me in. Here I am. I'm on the wrong side of the tracks. Don't even belong in this church. At least, at least that's the way the church people made me feel. And a black man is preaching to me of all people. There's no way God's in this. Oh, God was all over it. Amen. I'm talking about, he, he, got to talk, he got to that point right there. He said that God is like a mechanic. And you don't take a brand new car that's running well to a mechanic. You take that broken and beaten down car to the mechanic. He said, you got to realize that you are the broken and beaten down car. And Jesus Christ is the mechanic. And let me tell you what he preached. He preached on the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. He preached, he preached on the fact that if we have sinned, one sin, we're guilty of all sin. We're guilty. We're, we're going to face the wrath and condemnation of God. But then he preached, but God made a way through Jesus Christ to the purchasing of, of His shed blood of the church and how I could be a part of the body of Christ. And, and, and I was thinking in my, in my heart of hearts, this is what I was praying I said, God, if you're even real, you wouldn't even take me. That's what I said. And it was as soon as I said that in my heart. He says, one of you tonight have just said to yourself, God, you won't even take me. And I knew. I knew God. He said, God's on somebody. And I knew God was on me. I started crying and I was hiding it. I just kind of sat down in my my pew. Looking back, I, I understand it. In the moment, I didn't know what was going on. I wanted to get up and go out them doors as fast as I could. But I couldn't because there was like three youth on this side and four youth on that, so I couldn't go nowhere. So we had the altar call, and, and uh, I mean, it, it, it didn't even get on real good. I, I, could, I could tell you the song. Uh, it was East to West by Casting Crowns. And, and I remember gripping the back of that pew, and i tell you what, I believe looking back, I got saved before I made it to that altar because I told, I told myself, and by heart, I said, Josh, if he, if he is who he says he is, you better believe him because there's no other hope for you. I mean, my life had gotten just that low. It was, I mean, I was just at that bottom pit of depression to where my only answer was Jesus. And for me, it took getting to that point to realizing that I'm so unlovable, but the God of heaven will take something so terrible and take just a piece of clay and mold me and make me into what he would have me be. And I remember coming to that altar, just crying out to God. You say, "Preacher, would you pray?" I, I, I ain't gonna tell you how, what I sounded like. I, will sound like a charismatic, but I, I, I don't even know what I said. All I knew is in my heart of hearts, when I, when the Spirit gave me utterance, all I knew in my heart of hearts is that I needed God in my life. I was just—you ever been just in that nasty cry where you just cry out to God? And you, just, it was one of those cries. And I didn't even know what to say. The life life that I was living just completely changed at that altar. Looking back, looking back, I realized that that was the God of heaven preparing the bride for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Amen. I didn't realize it then. I didn't realize that He was getting me ready for the climax of all climaxes. I didn't realize that. But I didn't realize I was a dirty, rotten sinner, good for nothing. There's no way I can even make it out of hell on my own. But God reached out into the charred walls of the dam, plucked me out of a devil's hell, set my feet on the solid rock and established my goings. And He has changed me. I've failed Him many times since. But I've learned this, Jesus has never failed me. Amen. Amen. And I'm so glad that one day, one day when we're in heaven, we get to have that. Beautiful ceremony. Where we can see God the Father letting us know all about this arrangement. Oh, Josh, let me tell you over there, even before we even kick Lucifer out of heaven, I tell you what, we already had it written up in our plans. that on December the 17th of 2007, the Holy Spirit was going to come by your way. And He was going to draw you in a way like you've never been drew before. And He was going to surrender to that. And He was going to give your heart to Christ. We're so glad that you're here. I'm ready for that day, Amen. I mean, this is this is going to be a joyous occasion. You have to understand this these 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 weddings. It wasn't just a, it wasn't just okay. Uh, three hours, four hours later, and you're done. No, this is this is a festival. This lasts days and days and days. So the marriage supper of the lamb is actually going to take up a long time. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to meet your Maker? Are you prepared to be the bride of Christ? Because you've got to understand this. God's not going to accept an adulterous wife. He's going to accept the pure and perfect bride. And the only way He's going to accept that is by you surrendering your heart and your life by the way of the cross and trusting in Christ and in Christ of long. Listen, I'm going to, I'm going to pray. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. You can pray right where you are at this altar. If you just want to pray and thank God for his goodness, you go right